0: This is the Christian Life Issues for Today podcast with Wayne Mack as your speaker. Today we continue on the subject of uh, anxiety or worry, which is a problem which that is very widespread. I just received a message from someone who listened to the last podcast, saying that it was incredibly helpful and so we're hoping that uh, these two today will also be of immense benefit to those who listen. Jay Adams told a story about a man named Joe who found a novel way of dealing with his worry problem. Joe was widely known to be a worrywart but one day, his friend Bill noticed that Joe was a changed man. When he asked what had happened, Joe replied that he had hired someone, a thousand dollars a day, to do his worrying for him. Bill immediately asked him how he could afford it. Joe responded, I can't, but that's not my problem because he does all the worrying for me. Joe solved his problem. By paying someone else to carry his load. I suspect that there are many thousands of people who would like to do the same were it possible. I believe, however, that even if it were possible for us to find someone to worry for us, we would still worry. We would find it nearly impossible to completely handle hand over the burden of anxiety to someone else. Why should we carry a burden that someone else is willing to bear? This is an excellent question, one that many believers should spend more time thinking about because as believers, we do have someone who is willing to carry our burden for us. In Psalm 55 and verse 22, David said, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Our Lord Jesus Christ invited us to bring to him all of our burdens. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. First Peter 5 and verse 7 urges us to cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for you. In spite of Christ's promise to take our burden, we hang on to our anxiety. We continue to worry. We find it easy to talk about giving our cares to Jesus, but very difficult to actually do it. The fact that it's difficult, however, does not mean that it cannot be done. As we've studied and learned from the scripture in the last couple of podcasts, worry is an age-old problem. It's a common problem, and it's a serious problem. Regardless of these truths, however, the Bible also makes it clear that it is a solvable problem. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible to overcome anxiety. In John the 14th chapter, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. And in Philippians 4 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul, again writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so what he wrote was the truth of God, he said, Let your anxiety be for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, for you should cast your cares upon Christ. From these and other passages, we discover there is never a circumstance or situation that requires us to justify worry. It's always possible in the midst of any trouble to experience the peace of God, which passes all understanding. That's what Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 and verse 6 also actually uh, tell us. In acknowledgement of this, we began in chapter 2 to look in previous podcasts, rather, we began to look at what the biblical guidelines for overcoming anxiety are. I said chapter 2 because I'm really bringing you material from a book that I wrote some time ago, published by Presbyterian and Reform Publishing Company. It was called Down But Not Out. We learned previously that the Foundation for Overcoming Anxiety is a personal vital relationship with Jesus Christ. This is essential because the peace that passes understanding is not from us. It is from God and can be ours only by His grace. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to experience this peace through Christ. We learned also that this peace is available to all believers regardless of their natural tendencies, their personalities, or circumstances. We then studied the second biblical guideline for overcoming anxiety, the need to be be prepared to act by being informed. We need to be informed. We must know the difference between legitimate concern and sinful worry. We must know our personal symptoms of worry. And I gave a list of those symptoms in the previous podcast. We must know these personal symptoms. The visible signs that indicate we are falling into anxiety. And we must know how worry evidences itself in our own life and be watchful for the physical cues that our body provides. We must also know the underlying causes of our anxiety. We looked at many examples of both primary and secondary sources of anxiety. We said that we should recognize and identify the primary sources and also the secondary sources. Knowing these two sources helps us to identify the sin that is causing our anxiety so that we can repent of it and deal with it in our own lives. Once we've identified and repented of our sinful cause for anxiety, we must then seek the power of the Holy Spirit help us to live peacefully and righteously before God and before the world. Now that brings us to the third biblical guideline for overcoming anxiety. In order to live peacefully and righteously, we have to strengthen our faith. The scripture makes it very clear that one of the primary sources of worry is a lack of faith. As I said in a previous podcast, in a sense, it's the primary cause. But because all others can be traced back to it, that makes it a primary cause. If we had greater faith, we would not have incorrect values or divided loyalties or distorted thinking. And we would not be preoccupied with ourselves. We would not superficially regard the Word of God as not really being that important. We would not superficially be lazy or r- irresponsible. These are evidences that our faith is too small. If it's true that unbelief is the primary sin causing anxiety, then one of the keys to overcoming anxiety must be to increase our faith. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat and go out into the Sea of Galilee. No doubt, being tired from a long day, Jesus falls asleep in the back of the boat. When a violent storm breaks out that threatens to capsize the boat, they wake him and rebuke him, saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Several of Christ's disciples were experienced fishermen, quite accustomed to being in boats in all kinds of weather, but this storm was too much even for them. They woke up Jesus because they thought they were about to die and didn't know what else to do. Jesus immediately got up and calmed the storm with a word. And then he said to his disciples, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus indicated that they were worried because of their unbelief. And he uh, rebuked them for it. This is the same point that Peter makes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. In verse 7, he says that we should cast all our anxiety on Christ. And in the next verse, he warns us to be sober and alert, watchful for the devil's attempts to devour us with anxiety. And then in verse 9, Peter gives us the key to overcoming anxiety. He says, Resist the devil, firm in your faith. If we want to battle with the enemy of sinful worry, we must be armed with strong faith. In Psalm 37, sometimes we call it the fretter's psalm, David addressed the problem of anxiety. Three times he wrote, do not fret. Three times he also told us what we are to do instead of worrying and fretting and getting upset. Trust in the Lord. And psalm 37 in verse 3 that's what he said and then in psalm 37 in verse 5 he said again trust also in him and in verse 7 of the same psalm he said rest in the lord and wait patiently for him again greater faith is the antidote to anxiety In light of these teachings, when we find ourselves getting worried, we can know it's because we're lacking in faith. If we want to overcome our anxiety, we must increase our faith. Indeed, 1 John 5 and verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible teaches, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, the Bible promises, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In the scripture, God's peace is directly connected to faith. But the question is, how do you get a faith lift? Since faith is the key to overcoming anxiety, how then do we increase our faith? How do we increase our dependence on God in a practical way so that we experience Freedom from worry. Well, there are at least four steps to increasing our faith. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we're tempted to worry, we first need to replace worry with worship. The word that's translated prayer in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 5 also includes the idea of worship. In the Bible, there are a number of words which are used to describe prayer. In this particular one, it's a broad term that refers to the whole aspect of worship and all that worship involves, including prayer. Therefore, Paul essentially is saying, don't worry, worship. Now, why is worship an appropriate response to anxiety? When we worship God, we recognize and declare his worthiness. We think about and praise him for his majesty, his glory, and his holiness. In truth, when we forget the worthiness of God, it is then that we lose faith and begin to experience anxiety. Consider the example of the prophet Isaiah who worshipped God at a time in his life when, I believe, he was being tempted to anxiety. Isaiah was a man who loved his God and loved his people but was distressed by the rampant sin, immorality, and idolatry that he saw all around him. He sensed that God was righteously angry with the people for their sin and about to judge them. At that time, the people were just living in sin. And Uzziah was the king of Judah at that time. And according to the scripture, he did right in the sight of the Lord. That's Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 4. And as a result, the Lord blessed him during the time of his reign, his kingship. He became a powerful and wealthy king. Isaiah sinned against the Lord. And when he became strong, the Bible says his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. God judged Uzziah's pride by afflicting him with leprosy, and Uzziah soon died. When Uzziah died, Isaiah was grieved by the loss of his king, and I believe anxious about the fate of his people. Isaiah went to the temple to worship. And when he did, he saw a vision of the Almighty God, the Bible says, high and lifted up. That's Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. He heard the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. God graciously took Isaiah's eyes off of himself and his troubles and put them where they belonged, on God. As a result, Isaiah's faith was enlarged and was able to change his focus from being worried to serving God. And so he said, here am I, send me. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. We see a similar situation in Acts chapter 4. At that time, the apostles were preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. This happened not too long after Christ had been crucified, meaning, of course, that many of the same people who had seen Christ crucified were hearing the gospel preached. This upset the religious leaders in Jerusalem because many people were believing in Christ. So the religious leaders, they were so worried that they summoned the apostles in their midst and commanded them not to teach or speak in the name of Jesus anymore. That's Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. Then, when they had threatened them further, they let them go. That's Acts chapter 4 and verse 21. Upon release, the apostles quickly gathered together with the rest of the believers. It seems reasonable to assume that many of the believers would have been tempted to worry about what had just happened. Because they had just been threatened never to speak in the name of Jesus again. Instead of allowing their hearts to be filled with anxiety, they turned their hearts to worship. The Bible says they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. That's Acts chapter 14, verse 24. After they had prayed and worshipped, the place where they gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Truly, worship is an effective response to anxiety. Psalm 46 and verse 10 admonishes us, cease striving. And that's what happens when we're worried in our hearts we're striving. We're unsure, we're uncertain. Anyway, the Bible says cease anxiety, cease striving, and know that God will be exalted among the nations, that he will be exalted on the earth. If we want to overcome anxiety, we must learn to stand in awe of God. Uh, That's what the people were commanded to do in that place in the Psalms. They were commanded to be quiet, meditate on God, pray and worship, and to let their hearts be filled with the knowledge of his greatness and his glory. When we do this, there will be no room left for anxiety because our faith will be too large. Throughout the book of Revelation, we're given many glimpses into heaven. One of the things repeatedly described in these glimpses of heaven is the constant worship that is taking place. God's people and all the creatures of heaven are continuously praising and worshiping God. Someday, the things of this earth, the work of evangelism, marriage, family relationships, providing for our daily needs, will all come to an end. But well, we'll never stop worshiping God Therefore, since worship is something that we will be doing in heaven for all eternity, how much more important it is that we do that here on earth right now. Not only should worship be a regular practice of our lives as believers, but also in the light of Paul's instructions, we ought to especially train ourselves to worship when we find ourselves being tempted by anxiety. When our focus is on the greatness of our God, the troubles of this world become very small. Second, Paul called us to application in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. This word speaks to the attitude with which we should be approaching God. Paul was instructing us to come to God with earnestness, with humility, and with a sense of our utter dependence on him. Our attitude should be the same as that of the tax collector in Luke 18, who, with his head bowed, beat his chest and cried, God, be merciful to me, the sinner this man recognized that God did not owe him anything but wrath and punishment. We noted in a previous podcast that one of the primary causes of anxiety or worry is selfism, a focus on self, being consumed with ourselves and our interests. This attitude leads to worry as circumstances show us that the world is in fact not revolving around us and not in our control. In order to overcome anxiety, that attitude of pride that is all wrapped up in ourselves needs to be replaced with humility. We need to admit our absolute inadequacy and dependence on God. We need to admit our sin and our need for God's grace. That's an attitude that I call application. Third, Paul said that if we're going to overcome worry, we need to give thanks. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Make your request known to God. When we're worried, our minds are focused on the negative aspects of our circumstances. Paul instructed us to focus on the positive aspects instead. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5 and verse 20 says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. As believers, we have countless things to thank God for. When our circumstances are troubling, we have salvation that no one can take away from us. We have complete forgiveness in Christ for all our sins, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Even in the midst of trouble, we've been given an inheritance in heaven that waits for us in heaven, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And we also have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And he's always there. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. For all these things, we can give thanks at all times. There are also many things that we can be thankful for that address our anxiety more directly. We can be thankful for God's promise to strengthen us, help us, and uphold us. That's Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. We can be sure that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. Because if God is for us, who is against us? That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. We can trust that God will finish the good work that he began in us in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 and verse 6. We can consider our trials all joy because God is producing endurance. He uses trials to produce endurance and to make us perfect and complete, mature in Christ Jesus. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. When tempted to worry, we can by faith stop and give thanks thanks to God for all these things. As believers, we give thanks to God in two ways. In good, untroubled times, we often give thanks by sight. In other words, we give thanks for the visible, tangible ways in which God has blessed us. The other way in which we give thanks to God is by faith. In times of distressing circumstances, our thanksgiving will mostly be by faith. In these times of trouble, we need to deliberately focus our minds on God's promises for deliverance. Certainly, it is easier to give thanks by sight However, we obey God by giving thanks at all times. Even when it's difficult to see good things to be thankful for. God will use the trouble to strengthen our faith and fill us with his peace. Notice that Paul said, in everything give thanks. Thanksgiving ought to be a habit. Worship and supplication ought to also be a habit. We must train ourselves to turn to God for help every day and in every situation. And then still further, Paul instructed us to let our requests be made known to God. That's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. We turn our minds to worship and prayer with an attitude of supplication and thanksgiving and then we're to ask God specifically for what we need. James chapter 4 and verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus promised ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he said, What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will he give him a snake? Jesus was teaching several things with these words. And all of them mean that we can and should be very specific about the things that we ask of God. Bread and fish are specific requests. However, when we ask, we must realize that everything we receive is by God's grace. We deserve nothing, and he owes us nothing. So when we're tempted to worry, we should cast that burden on God and ask him for specific help that we need in that particular time. Truly, if these four things were the regular practice of our lives, the four things I've mentioned thus far, there would be less anxiety in our lives. Worship supplication thanksgiving and everything and specific requests for help are an essential part of strengthening and increasing our faith they're antidotes for worry and they take out us out of such alarm over our present situation lift our eyes off of The immediate situation in which we find ourselves. We'll be focusing on God instead of our circumstances. And that's where our focus belongs.